friends, welcome to God on Tap. And as always, I'm Nika Spaulding, and we are pressing on into the book of Jude today. And so what we're going to do is look at um, Jude 1 through 10. I'm going to read that, but we're going to also break it up. This is going to be a little different than what we normally do. Normally, we just read the passage and talk about that passage, and then the next day we move on to a, the next passage. But Jude, like I said in the intro episode yesterday, is so stinking dense that it's going to take some time to explain the background info of what's going on. And so that's what we're going to do today is we're going to look at 1 through 10, explain a part of it, and then we'll explain another part of it tomorrow. And then we may need two or three. I haven't quite decided yet. So, But that's what we're doing today. So today from Jude verses 1 through 10, and this is the word of the Lord. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, if you didn't listen to the intro message yesterday, we talked about the background info and why this book is, was, it's no longer, God is with me, but was an intimidating book, and it's because there is so much background info that Jude assumes knowledge of as he's writing. And so yesterday, though, we went ahead and looked at the first two verses, which basically just set up like a normal ancient letter. You have, you know, the person who's writing says their name, who they're writing to, and some sort of greeting of some sort. And so we see that, of course, today in the beautiful humility of Jude. We talked about how he's the brother of Jesus, and yet he claims that he's the servant of Jesus and the brother of James. So great, beautiful, great. And then we talked about how verses three and four are really the purpose statement of this letter that he is writing in order to basically warn the people that there are these false teachers. And then today, what we're looking at in verses 5 through 10 is Jude, again, assuming familiarity with the Old Testament and Jewish writings, what he's doing is he's going to be comparing the false teachers that he's warning his present-day audience about, he is comparing them to three Old Testament examples of rebellion and divine judgment. And so what Jude is essentially doing, what we're jumping into, is he's basically saying, hey, listen, I'm warning you about these false teachers, and these false teachers are like these really terrible examples from the Old Testament that I assume you know because I'm going to reference them ever so briefly. So it's a little bit like... um, 
so just like a think of like an historical event that if you were to just go hey remember uh i mean we can use like literally right now okay so if in five years from now somebody was like hey remember march 2020 what you would then assume is that the person remembers that there's a global pandemic there's a two trillion dollar stimulus package yada 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 like Jude is assuming that his readers have understanding, which is why he just very briefly like moves over the story because he's like, hey, you guys know, you know what I'm talking about. And so, but we're 2,000 years removed from Jude and we're like 4,000. Okay, so let's see, Kadesh Barnea. We're like 1440, so 3,400 years removed from the event that he's just like whispering past us. And he's just like, hey, remember that time in Numbers 14? And we're like, no. Uh, and so what we're going to do today is we're going to, I'm going to set up for you what he's doing. So what he's doing is Jude's going, Hey guys, love you all. Grace and peace. Toodles. By the way, I was going to write to you about this, but I feel the need to tell you about these ridiculous sensual leaders. And here we go into the body of my passage and the body of my passage is starts out like this. Let me remind you of these three old Testament examples of where those leaders presumed that they knew the word of God or distorted the word of God or rebelled against the word of God. And that's really what it is, is that they rebelled against the word of God. And by the way, remember what happened to them, divine judgment. And so Jude is basically saying, hey, listen, there's already a precedent for teachers rebelling from the good and gracious word of God. And we know how their story ended. It ended poorly for them, it ended in divine judgment. And so the first example that he gives that he passes over very quickly is the rebellion in the wilderness. And so that is in reference to, he says, I, you once fully knew it that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. So that's the Exodus. It's interesting that he says Jesus there. And he says, and afterward, although he destroyed those who did not believe. Okay, so that's how quickly we get a reference here. But that he is referencing a situation in Numbers 14. Today's episode, I'm going to unpack that Numbers 14. Then he keeps going and he talks about rebellious angels. That is a reference to Genesis 6, which we will unpack tomorrow, and then also from the book of First Enoch. And then he talks about the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is from Genesis 19. And so he doesn't even go in order. He goes Numbers, Genesis, early Genesis, and then middle Genesis. And so he's jumping around. But his whole point in this is that he's trying to, he's, be, he's building a brilliant argument saying there is precedent for people who claim to be leaders, who rebel from the good word of God, and it does not go well for them and the people who follow them. That's his argument. So he's warning present day believers with examples of, of believers of ancient time or, or angels of ancient time who rebelled and it does not go well for them. So it's a really brilliant argument, right? I mean, it's just like if you were a lawyer and you wanted to set up a case, he's doing really good case law here. He's giving you cases and cases and cases of where people have tried the very thing that these false teachers are doing. So one, he's like, you're not even original. And two, it, it does not bode well for you. For, the, for you to be the false leader and for you to be someone who follows them. Okay, so let's, let's unpack the first one where he says very briefly, where he says, hey, remember when Jesus rescued those people out of Egypt and then they all died? <laughs> okay, so one, it's kind of a weird reference to Jesus, okay? So because you're like, wait, did Jesus rescue the people out of Egypt or was that the Spirit or was that the Father? I think Jude has 
he he's putting Jesus in here, and though it's kind of an odd reference, I think what Jude is doing is he's recognizing that the salvation comes from God, and that salvation comes from Jesus, and so he's inserting Jesus into this story almost anachronistically but also in a way they're saying like jesus is ultimately the one who rescues us and so jesus is the one that rescued the egyptians or the israelites out of egypt and so but again he passes over it very very quickly because he's assuming we know what he's talking about okay so let me tell you what's happening here so if you go back to the book of exodus god raises up a leader in moses and you think okay great moses is the man kind of he's got problems just like every other man moses goes into egypt let my people go, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. You know what I'm talking about? You know that we have the plagues, the 10 plagues. And then the last plague, of course, is the Passover, where if you don't paint the doorposts of your house, the angel of the Lord, if you do paint it, the angel will pass over. And if you don't, then the angel will kill your firstborn. And so that happens. Pharaoh loses his firstborn because of his hardened heart. So all of a sudden, Pharaoh relents and he says, okay, you guys get out of here. And so all of the people, they go, actually, this is a fun part of the story, they go and take a bunch of gold and silver and valuable stuff from their Egyptian overlords, which I think is wild. And then God sends them out. A malnourished, enslaved people are walking out of the country that has enslaved them. It's an unbelievable story, but they're able to do it because God is with them. And then they get to, you know, the first problem, which is the Red Sea. And you're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And Moses lifts up his arms, and God splits the Red Sea. So already, miraculous plagues have been happening. Already, they are miraculously leaving with all this, like, valuable stuff. Then they get to the sea, miraculous splitting of the sea. Then they get to the other side, and this is when Pharaoh's like, wait. I think I've made a huge mistake. Sends his army to go get his people back because he thinks they're his people rather than God's people. They follow them into the Red Sea. As soon as the Israelites are out of the Red Sea, boom, all of a sudden the water comes over them. Unbelievable, right? So God has vanquished the enemy that has harmed them. Then they're walking through the land. We know that they're walking in the wilderness, and so they need they need water. God brings it out of a rock. They need food. God brings manna from heaven. He brings quail from the skies. Uh, they need protection against invading armies. God does all of this for them, like right? So God is with them every step of the way. They have seen God demoralize a absolutely massive Egyptian people, demoralize them through a rinky-dink man named Moses right? He's just a man. And I don't say rinky dink because Moses is rinky dink. Like all of us are rinky dink compared to God. So God is using his conduit, Moses. He has, he has flexed in every way. You need water? Boom. Water. You need food? Boom. Food. You need food every day? Boom. Every day food. Collect it twice the day before the Sabbath. Boom. You have food on the Sabbath. I'm with you. I'm for you. Pillar of cloud and with them at uh, during the day and pillar of fire at night i am with you i am for you i am with you i am for you oh the armies come against you boom take them out oh you need this you need that you need this why am i drawing this out because i'm trying to show you that the people of god who have walked with god literally walked with god out of their slavery they walked out of slavery and god every step of the way was with them and for them and providing and revealing himself and then we get to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And this is the this is the incident that Jude is referencing. We get to Kadesh Barnea and God says, Hey, why don't you I'm trying to give you the land of Cana. Okay, God's like, I'm I'm trying to give you a blessing here, a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm I'm going to give it to you. And the people say, Okay, great. And so what happens is they send in these spies. 
And if you remember, there's only two spies that come back and give a positive report. Now, if you're the people of God, <laughs> and God has already said, I'm going to give you the land, does it matter who's in the land? No. Why? Because what are they, more powerful than the mighty Egyptians who God snapped his fingers and pff, they're gone? No. So God is sending in these representatives. They come back. Ten of them are knees knocking, scared. They are like giants in the land. They, I, have, I mean, you're trying to give us a land. Do you know who's in there? It's a meat market in there. They are people, they do bench presses for fun in the land of Canaan. Are you kidding me? We're like grasshoppers compared to them. And then you've got Joshua and you've got Caleb who are like, guys, God is with us. Remember, God is with us. Remember the Alamo, right? No, like remember the Exodus. Remember, we were hungry and we had food. We were thirsty and we got water. We're literally wearing gold and silver from a people group that we just took it on our way out. We walked through the Red Sea. God's pillar is with us. Let's go. And then the people are like, um, no, we're going to side with the other ones who are scared. We're going to fail to trust God in this moment. We're going to doubt God's good word and God's good provision, though he has not faltered at any point, and we're going to mumble and grumble against him. And this is the incident that Jude is referencing. And then the result of that, so what Jude is saying is, hey, listen, there, there are false teachers among you. They are like that incident at Kadesh Barnea where there were those leaders, those spies who came back and gave an unfavorable report and you all believed it. And what happened to the Israelites when they believed it is God said, okay, then this entire generation is going to wander in the wilderness as a result of your disbelief and your disobedience. And I'm going to kill off this generation. And that results in many more years of wandering in the wilderness. And except for Joshua and Caleb, you will see the promised land. Everyone else will not see that promised land. Y'all, they were on the doorstep of walking into the land flowing with milk and honey. They are at the doorstep of receiving their inheritance from God, a land to call their own after having been enslaved for 400 years. They have been wandering in the wilderness and God has given them every bit of provision and they get to the door and they hear an unfavorable report. And instead of remembering what God had already done, they turn to fear and to grumbling and disbelief and disobedience, and there is a very harsh consequence for them. Just, just, but harsh because God is having, God is building up a people that are going to be his representatives on the earth, right? This is, this is his people. Like they are going to go into the land of Cana, and not only are they going to conquer it, but they are meant to be a light to the world. The people of God, the Israelites, are meant to be a place of, of goodness and grace as an extension of who God is. So God's representatives on the earth, the, the holy nation, a royal priesthood, which is what he's asked of them back in Exodus, will you be my people? And they said, oh yeah, we will do all that you came into me. And he says, okay. And then, you know, they don't. But the whole point is they're supposed to be God's representative people. And he has to take them and teach them how to be that. He cannot take those people into the land to be that representative people because they don't even trust God. They don't even believe that he's going to do the things that he says he's going to do. Like the fundamental one-on-one piece of what they need to do is they do not believe that God is with them and for them, though he has been with them and for them in the past and shown them. And so the consequence of their disbelief, they wonder, and then they don't get into the promised land. And the next generation has to be the one that goes in with Joshua being the conqueror and conquers the land. 
That's the story that Jude is expecting you to know. But what he's doing is he's taking those leaders, those rebellious leaders, those knee-knocking, fearful leaders who are like, ooh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. It's kind of scary. It's scary. And which, again, we're human. I get it. Uh, I'm not, I, I don't like, I mean, I don't know if I would have been Caleb and Joshua as opposed to the other ones. But what Jude is doing is he's comparing that that group of people, that example of rebellion is exactly what he's comparing to the people today. Hey, listen, you're going to have people that come and they distort God and God's word. And there's a consequence when you follow those people. There was a consequence to the spies who didn't believe they could take the land. And there was a consequence to the people who followed those spies into disbelief and disobedience. And that's what he's referencing here. And so again, this is just the first Old Testament example. We're going to pack the other two tomorrow. But I wanted to set it up for us to see what's going on here. That ultimately, what what I think is so what for us in this Jude story, as well as for I think this was a so what for Jude's audience. I think it's a so what for us today is that we, uh, the people, we the we the human race, are really bad at remembering. Like we're really bad at remembering, and I know this because God is constantly, um, not constantly, but He is repeatedly asking people to remember things. Like the if you think of like the Passover meal that the Israelites, that God enacts for them in the books of the law as they become a, a, an official people, there are, so many, there are so many rituals like Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles and, and all these religious experiences that are designed to be seasons of remembrance, to be holidays of remembrance because we are a people that so easily forget God's previous provision, God's previous restoration, God's previous salvation, so that when we get to the next Cana for us, the thing that is scary, and we're not sure what to do, sometimes we're willing to listen to people that would take us away from the goodness of God, as opposed to people who remind us, this is what God has done. And so I think a big so what for the people of Jude's day and the people for us today is, for all of us today, is that we have to be really good at remembering what God has done. He has kept his resume for us in his scriptures. He has kept a resume in your life of deliverance in your very own life. That God is telling you there are going to be people who would tell you that, that God is like this or God is like that. But when you sit there and go, wait, 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 wait. I know that there are giants in the land of Cana, but my God is, is better and stronger and bigger. And yes, I know that there's economic uncertainty, but my God has always provided for me. And yes, I know that I'm not sure if I'm ever going to get married, but God has been the lover of my soul all the years of my life. And yes, I'm not sure if I'm going to get over this whatever trial and tribulation I'm in, but, but God has been a deliverer in all my days. We have to be a people committed to remembering. And I think Jude is setting us up for remember how this worked out the last time. Don't let it be like that. Don't be the people like those that don't be the people standing at the border of the promised land at Kadesh Barnea and not able to go in. Instead, be the people that when you get to Kadesh Barnea, if you have to, look back to the Exodus to remind you who your God is. He's a God of rescue and deliverance and goodness and loveliness. So you can take that step forward into the land of giants because God is with you and for you all the days of your life. So that's our so what, is we need to be people that are better at remembering because there are all these warnings and all these examples that God has left for us like breadcrumbs and we should be people who go, ooh, it feels like you're telling me to go left, but God has shown me the way that is right and that's the path that I shall take. All right, friends. 
like I said, tomorrow we're going to pick up with the next two examples uh, and so that we can unpack the background information. But if, but yeah, if nobody's told you that they love you, I do. But way more importantly, God is crazy about you. Peace.